This week's sermon is out of our brand new Luke and Acts series. Shameless plug real quick, if you're not on the reading plan, it's not too late to be a part of it. It's free and you can jump in anytime on our website. You can head to wordoflifeag.org to sign up. This week's message is from Pastor Lisa and it's all about the kingdom of God. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I love that he called us over the road. I love that. He said, the kids over the road. We're really just over there. But sometimes it seems like a long way away. So this morning, we've done something really cool. The kids over in the chapel, grades one through five, are on the live feed this morning. And they're watching this message. So would you welcome them? They're the coolest kids ever. Yeah, they're the coolest kids ever. I'm so glad they're here. I don't know if they can see you or not, but... Good morning, guys. We're so glad you're here. So you'll see me kind of like make a nod to them every now and then to keep them engaged. So guys, you have your sermon notes. You have your word find. Settle in. If you're sitting next to somebody who might distract you, go ahead and move. That's what we say. And that applies to you too. All right? That can apply to everyone. So um, I'm so grateful that they're here. And speaking of kids, I want to tell you a little story from my childhood. Um, Does anybody have great memories from their childhood? Yeah. So it's summer and I have some super great summer memories because I used to spend my summers in Illinois with my grandparents. My mother's family lives in Illinois. And so I would spend time with my grandma and grandpa Schrock every single summer. And as a side benefit of that, I got to spend time with my uncle Phil and my aunt Patty. And they were the fun aunt and the fun uncle. Does anybody have a fun aunt and a fun uncle? How many of you are the fun aunt and the fun uncle? So you're the ones that buy the loud toys for Christmas, right? You're the ones that give the candy and then send them home. That's what Uncle Phil and Aunt Patty were to me. And I actually reached out to Aunt Patty and asked if I could tell this little story. um, Because as I said the last time I was here, when I talk about my family, I always ask permission first. Um, And she said, of course, I could share this story because all it is is honoring them. Uh, My Uncle Phil was a pastor for many years. He's gone to be with Jesus now. And um, one of the things that Uncle Phil taught me was to not take myself too seriously, which is not a bad life lesson, right? Don't take yourself too seriously. Uncle Phil loved all things Muppet. He loved all things zany. My Aunt Patty taught me about fireworks and how to smash bottle caps. I probably shouldn't say this because the kids are watching. How to smash uh, those bottle cap, uh, those little fireworks, and how to do that on the road and make a whole bunch of them go off. We used to have so much fun in the summer with them. I would hang out with them and with their little little kids and uh, spend time with my friends while I was with them. My Uncle Phil loved Charlie Brown. And uh, actually, my grandparents both loved Charlie Brown, and had, my grandpa had a bunch of Charlie Brown comic books. But one summer, my Uncle Phil and my Aunt Patty had this record. A record. Does anybody know what a record is? Remember what a record is? So they used to play these records of different, um, different funny things and, and music and things like that. But this particular record was the, the play, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown is actually written for adults to perform. It's meant for adults to perform rather than children. And often in a school, you'll see faculty and staff perform this play. And so there was one life-changing inspirational passage from You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, where Lucy actually decided that she would like to be queen. Is anybody familiar with this at all? Probably I'm the only one. Great, you're in for a treat. So this morning, I want to read to you from You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, 
a, a segment entitled, I Intend to Be Queen. Do you know what I intend? I intend to be queen. When I grow up, I'm going to be the biggest queen there ever was, and I'll live in a big palace, and when I go out in my coach, all the people will wave, and I will shout at them. And, and in the summertime, I will go to my summer palace, and I'll wear my crown in swimming and everything. And all the people will cheer, and I will shout at them. Well, at that moment, her little brother Lucy, who's a pest to her, interrupts her and lets her know that there's no way she can be queen because she hasn't been born into the family where she would inherit the title. And this is what she says. She says, what do you mean I can't be queen? Nobody should be kept from being a queen if she wants to be one. It's usually just a matter of knowing the right people. Well, if I can't be a queen... Then I'll be very, very rich, and I'll buy myself a queendom. Yes, I will buy myself a queendom, and then I'll kick out the old queen and take over the whole operation myself. I will be queen. Well, the idea of being queen, of being in charge, was very appealing to 10-year-old Lisa. She wanted to be able to be in charge of other people, to tell them what to do, to make sure that her ideals and her preferences and what she liked would be carried through. To the point where when I would play dress up with my cousins, I would have to be queen and they would have to be my handmaids. Hmm. Am I the only one? Is it just me? It's just me. Okay, that's all right. Well, you can feel sorry for me and pray for me later. I even wrote out a whole essay about what it would mean to be the queen of America if America had royalty as Great Britain does, which we don't. But of course, one day I had to realize I couldn't be like Lucy. I couldn't be queen. I had to choose my future path. I married a non-king, unfortunately. I love him very much, but he's not a king. He's, I love him, but I'm a commoner now because I married him. <laughs> I became a commoner, but in the back of my mind, the idea of being queen, of being in charge, is still attractive to me. Hmm. And the people of Israel may be very much like that. Have any of you ever imagined what it would be like to be completely in charge? To have people do things the way exactly you want them to be? Let's be honest, right? Let's be honest. That what I like the best is what everybody else likes the best. What I like for breakfast is what everybody else in my family likes for breakfast. My preferences, what's important to me, my priorities, what I believe in strongly will be important to everyone else. We all want to build our own kingdom. But our kingdom starts with a little K. Hey, Life Kids, when I say little K, can you make a little, let's see if I can do it. Can you make a little K with your fingers? I had it figured out. All right, Life Kids, when I say little K kingdom, you make a K. Guys, you can do it in here too if you want to play along, right? Okay. So the people of Israel, when we get to these passages in the book of Luke, we see that they were looking for a certain set of things in their king. They were living in a difficult time, and they were looking for a certain set of events. And one day, they saw a king. A king entered Jerusalem, and they thought that that king was going to bring about the kingdom, little K that lined up with their priorities and their preferences. So as we go into the Word this morning, we're going to take a moment. Life Kids, you're going to do this too. We do this every Sunday, right? We're going to quiet our minds, quiet our hearts, and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us.
Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is true and lasting and never changes regardless of us. We thank you that as we go into your word today, you are living and breathing in it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak, change our minds, and change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text today is in Luke chapter 19, verses 20 through, 28 through 40, and I'm in the New Living Translation. It says this, after telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his father's followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they keep silent, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Now, this text comes on the heels of Jesus making his way with his followers to Jerusalem. All along the way were miracles, parables, sermons, moments when Jesus was interacting with people. Anyone who interacted with him saw what he was doing. There were lots of teachable moments all, around, all along the way. And then ahead of him was the temple, the Last Supper, which we celebrated just a few moments ago, his betrayal his arrest and trial, the cross, and his triumphant resurrection. But in that moment, that very small moment, Jesus is noticed not just as a great teacher, not just as a really good speaker, but as the king. He's proclaimed and praised as the king. So imagine for a moment what was happening right then. So the Jewish people um, had heard many, many times about the promise of a king who would make everything right. They were waiting for the God, the king from God to save them. They were living in a time when they were a colony of Rome. And even though they had Jewish rulers and Jewish leaders, those rulers and leaders were crooked and corrupt. And they became wealthy and powerful by misusing the Jewish people. And so they were looking for someone. They were looking for something to happen. They were looking for their Messiah, their liberator, their savior, the true king of Israel. And on that day, he rode into Jerusalem. But he wasn't like any of the kings before him that they might have compared him to. He wasn't like any of the kings who would follow him. And he certainly wasn't like the kind of ruler that I would be if I got to be queen, right? He was different. He was a different type of king. And he was coming to establish a different type of kingdom. The type of king he was and is shows us the type of kingdom that he came to establish. If you've been reading along and following along with the Bible Project, you have heard the term upside-down kingdom. 
several times, right? Jesus came to bring the upside-down kingdom. He came to establish the kingdom, big K, of God, the one that God planned from the beginning of time. He wasn't planning on establishing the kingdom, little K, that they may have been looking for. So as we talk about that kingdom, it helps us to see what type of king he is. So the first thing we know about him is Jesus is the rightful king. Jesus is the rightful king. Jesus came from the line, the lineage of David. And there are several passages. I'm not going to read them all. If you have your little card, I forgot to acknowledge this. Did everybody get a little card when you came in? So the points are on the card. You don't have to do anything with this card right now. Just hang on to it. If you want, you can take notes. We're going to use it at the end. We're going to have a little response moment, okay? Um, But the points are on here. So the first type of king is Jesus is the rightful king. He came from the line of David. So 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16. You can look that up later. Isaiah 11, 1. And I'm going to read this scripture right here. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. Jesus was the rightful king, and he came to set up a righteous kingdom. Now, there had never been a rightful king before, even though there had been kings of Israel, and there had been kings who loved God and served him. But what had happened is one day, the leaders of Israel went to Samuel, way back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, and they said, we would like a king. Just like the nations around us, we see what they're doing, they have a king. And Samuel went to God on, uh, on that matter, and God spoke to him and said he could go ahead and anoint a specific king. And so Saul was chosen. Now, Saul was popular. He was good-looking. He was tall. He was a military strategist. He was smart. He was just the type of king that people would be looking for. God reminded Samuel in that moment that there was only one true king, and it was God the Lord. No man could ever rightfully take the throne and replace that king, God the Lord. Because God knew that a man could not rule over Israel the way that God would. Man is fallible. God is infallible. But Saul became the king, and there were many kings after that. And the true king, the rightful king, was going to come from the line of David, the king who followed Saul, who loved God with all of his heart. And so when Jesus came, he came as that rightful king of Israel. He was the son of God, and he came to take his place as the rightful king of a righteous kingdom big K kingdom, that would not be built out of selfish ambition. It wouldn't be built out of political strategy or military strategy. It wouldn't be built out of popularity. It wouldn't even be built out of intelligence. It would be built out of the character of God. And his appearance that day fulfilled that scripture and showed him, Jesus Christ, as the rightful king. So the kingdom of the rightful king is not built like our kingdom's. It's not built on our character. It's built on the character of the one true God. It's built on his authority, not our authority. And the next characteristic of this king might seem almost in direct opposition to that because Jesus is the humble king. Jesus is the humble king. Kings and powerful leaders in that time, when they would ride in, when they would travel, they would ride in style. 
right? They would ride um, on a beautiful horse or in a chariot flanked by military people. But Jesus was traveling in a very common way. He went from place to place on foot. He walked through dirty streets, dusty roads. Sometimes he would travel by boat. That was another inexpensive way to travel. But he didn't travel like the kings would typically travel. And this day that we're looking at, he rode into Jerusalem the day that he chose to be proclaimed and noted as king. He rode not on a beautiful horse, not in a beautifully decorated carriage flanked by military soldiers, but he rode in on a donkey because Jesus is humble. He was relatable. He was accessible. He was the kind of king that people could come to. And in doing this, he fulfilled another prophecy. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. See, he conducted himself in a manner that was opposite, upside down, if you will, from how a king would have normally conducted himself. Rather than getting close to the people who could help him raise to power, rather than spending time with the influential and the wealthy and the well-known and the popular, he spent time with the outcast. He spent time with the scandalous. He spent time with the unknown. He spent time with the poor. He was accessible and loving and humble and kind. He was not too good for anyone. Instead of looking down at people, he looked right through them and at them, right at eye level. His humility and his accessibility made it easy for anyone to come to him. And the upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of the humble king, is one full of compassion and full of grace. There are no levels of wealth. There are no levels of social status. There are no levels of birthright. There are no levels of popularity in the upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of the humble king. And how often, as we work on our little K kingdoms, do we think about who we need to know, what we need to do, how much we need to earn, where we need to live, what we need to change in order to make that little K kingdom happen. Jesus didn't do any of that, did he? He was humble, and he is humble. He makes sure that that upside-down kingdom is for everyone. No one who wants to be a part of it is ever excluded. So he came, and he rode that donkey into Jerusalem, and he rode straight toward his destiny, to the cross, because Jesus is the sacrificial king. Yes, amen. Amen. We just remembered his sacrifice. A solemn moment. I'll tell you, if communion ever ceases to stop me in my tracks, I need to start over for a minute, right? When I think about sacrifice, I think about one of the greatest sagas ever written. I consider it timeless, and ageless, and relatable. And that's the Star Wars saga. Anybody? How many Star Wars fans do I have here in the audience, right? My sons are beaming right now. My sons are beaming, 
right? So in the Star Wars saga, we see many heroes do many incredible things, daring things, feats of sacrifice. And there are some characters that specifically sacrifice their lives so that other people could live. And the cause of the good side could continue. I could go on and on about the gospel of Star Wars, but I won't do that. So one of those heroes is pretty well known. I think if I say his name, even if you're not familiar with the Star Wars saga, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Obi-Wan Kenobi, the original, the one who sacrificed his life so that Luke Skywalker could escape the Death Star and go on and lead the rebellion for a period of time, right? How about this one? This is in one of the newer movies, Vice Admiral Holdo. Do you know about her? Yes, a female commander who sacrificed her life so that the remaining rebellion um, crew could get out and continue to live, or the entire rebellion would have been obliterated. How about Jar Jar Binks? That's a no. Life kids, you can groan over there, right? No Jar Jar, but the entire crew of Rogue One. What a movie, right? All sacrifice. Now, these heroes made decisions to fight and to sacrifice, sometimes in a split second. Sometimes in the matter of a few hours they made a plan, maybe a few days. But Jesus, his entire destiny was to sacrifice his life for me and for you and for anyone who comes to him. It wasn't in a split second. It wasn't in a couple of hours or a couple of days. His entire purpose was to sacrifice his life for us because he is the sacrificial king. And scripture after scripture after scripture prophesies his death. And I'm just going to tell you a few of these. There are so many, I couldn't get them all together. Le Leviticus 20:17, his blood spilled for our sins. Numbers 21:9, lifted up on a cross just as the bronze snake was lifted up in the wilderness. Psalm 22:11 and 31:11, forsaken by his father and abandoned by his friends. Psalm 22:8, mocked and scorned. <sighs> Psalm 22:16, feet and hands pierced. The kingdom that Jesus came to establish is one that is built on the foundation of sacrifice. Without that sacrifice, there is no kingdom and there are no subjects. But because of that sacrifice, we get to be a part of the kingdom that will never end. Amen. That's a Pastor Tom, come on somebody, right? Jesus intentionally came to Jerusalem during the week of the Passover, and he did that because of the history of the Passover. And most of you in this room may know this history. I know my life kids know this story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Generations and generations and generations before, the children of Israel were in bondage. They were slaves in Egypt, and the Pharaoh and the rulers were cruel and they treated them terribly. And Moses, this leader, was raised up, and he went to Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, and he asked over and over and over, please let God's people go. We want to go into the wilderness and worship as we should. Please free them from their slavery. And over and over and over, over Pharaoh said no, in spite of plagues and pestilences that were sent that decimated the land of Egypt. He was a stubborn, stubborn ruler. But one plague came, one final horrible plague. God sent an angel of death to the land of Egypt that was going to strike the firstborn son of every single household dead. 
And the only way to avoid that plague was to do what God told Moses to do. The children of Israel took a pure, innocent lamb, and they sacrificed it. And they took the blood, and they painted it over the post of their door. And they stayed inside waiting. As they heard cries throughout the land, as the angel of death came, when the angel of death saw the blood of the innocent pure lamb, it passed right over them, and all inside were saved. And so the Passover was going to be celebrated that week. Jesus came as the perfect, pure, innocent lamb. Our sin, the things that we do that separate us from God, that go against his word, those are the things that bring us death. Sin's punishment is death. We all deserve that punishment, but Jesus came and shed his blood so that anyone who is covered by that blood, who accepts the sacrifice of Jesus, will be saved from eternal death. That's amazing. Separation from God forever is what we deserve because of what Jesus did. We can choose to never, ever, ever be sacrificed from him. Now, I'm going to give you a few, in a few moments, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to that. Kids over in the worship center, you're, or over in the, where are they? They're in the chapel. They're over the road. Kids, in a few minutes, you're going to have a chance to uh, do that with the shepherds, and I'm going to circle back to that because that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's even more good news. Who wants more good news? We certainly could use it, right? So Jesus is the conquering king. Now we've learned that he's the rightful king. He's the humble king. He's the sacrificial king, but he is the conquering king. That day on the road to the temple, there were people shouting praises to the king that they thought was coming to establish their little K kingdom. They had ideals, they had plans, they had political concerns, valid ones. They had religious concerns, valid ones. And they thought that Jesus was going to come and be the answer to all of those things. But he had a bigger answer. He had a bigger plan. He had a plan for the upside-down kingdom. He wasn't planning to overthrow a government. He wasn't planning to fix their economy. He wasn't even going to make sure that they could practice their religious beliefs the way that they wanted to. See, when we start looking to people around us to fix things in our little K kingdom, we get it twisted, right? He was going to conquer something much bigger, much more sinister, much more inevitable, much more terrible. Is that the right way to say it? Much terribler? No, much, te much more terrible than the circumstances that they were concerned about. He came to conquer death. Now let me read to you from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 7 and 8. It says this, Then he will remove the cloud of, of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. Now Jesus is the only king who has done that. He is the only one, the only person, the only one on planet earth who was ever able to raise himself from the dead with his own power, under his 
own conquering power. He was raised to life, and in doing so, here's the fulfillment of that prophecy. 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57 says this, Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That is good news. Jesus, the king of the upside down kingdom, came to defeat death forever, forever, forever. My great aunt Martha passed into the arms of Jesus this morning, early this morning. She has conquered death through what he has done for her. Amen. She is in his presence right now. And those who have gone before us, who have known him, they are in his presence because of his conquering death for the upside down kingdom. Jesus came to defeat death forever because of what he has done for us. His sacrifice for our sins, his humility, his compassion, his grace, and then his triumphant resurrection. Because of that, we never, ever, ever, ever have to be separated from God in eternal death. We have life in him, and that is good news. Come on, somebody, as Pastor Tom says. All right, so in just a moment, the kids are going to hop off the live feed or I don't know, maybe they'll stay on, but I think they're going to hop off the live feed because they have their own response, and we're going to have our response that we're going to do. So as I'm winding down here, I opened up today's message with a story. I talked about Lucy and her queendom. You might guess Lucy is probably one of my favorite characters all along, right? I like to say I'm not bossy. I have leadership skills, right? (laughs) Lucy wanted to be queen, Lucy had plans for her queendom. She thought that people were going to do what she wanted to do. And in our own way, we all build our own kingdom and our own queendom. Little K, little Q, right? We choose to put things in place around us that are comfortable for us. We look for things to happen that will go ahead and fulfill what we're looking for. But that was not the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to build. When we're building our own kingdom, we do that based on our hopes, our dreams, our preferences, our comfort levels, our expectations, our priorities. And we often do exactly what the people of Israel did. We plan for the king to help us build our kingdom instead of us building his kingdom. Now, I heard a couple of ouches. I'll say it again so I can pick my toes up. We plan for the king to help us build our kingdom instead of building his kingdom. So now is the moment. We're going to take a few minutes for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. This may feel uncomfortable for some of you. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable. I just want you to know that. Just want to let you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. We do this in Life Kids on a regular basis. We let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. So if you'll take out that card that I gave you, just... Grab it. You don't have to do anything with it yet. There should be a pen in the, there should be pens in the seat backs ahead of you if you don't have a pen or a pencil or a crayon, marker, lip liner pencil, whatever works. 
So now's the moment. I told you earlier that you were going to have a chance to respond, and here's your chance. We're going to have two different action steps that you can take out of today's message. So here's the first one. This is going to take a few minutes. The day people cheered for Jesus as he entered Jerusalem, they praised the rightful king who was coming to establish a kingdom that they didn't quite understand. They watched as he fulfilled Old Testament prophecies, riding on a humble animal, accessible to anyone who encountered him. They laid down their cloaks just as he would lay down his life for them in just a few days with his sacrifice and just as he would lay down his life for me and for you so that we could have new life. And they shouted praise to him, the one who would conquer death in just a few days, the one who can guarantee, he's the only one that can guarantee that we never have to be separated from the presence of God in his eternal kingdom. So as the worship team plays, I want to ask you a question, and this is going to be your response. What in my kingdom, what in my kingdom am I trying to build that I need to trade out for the kingdom of God? What in my kingdom am I trying to build that I need to trade out for the kingdom of God? It may be honoring him as the rightful king in your life. It may be seeing and caring for others through the eyes of humility that the humble king has. It may be accepting his sacrifice and trusting in that and trusting him to guide you to live a life that pleases him, a life that submits sin and pride to him. Or maybe it's living in the confidence that we can have that he's fighting for us as the conquering king. So I'm not going to give you concrete examples. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So I'm just going to be quiet for a few minutes. We'll let the worship team play. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your life and you write down what comes to your heart and mind. Once you've written that down, I want you to tuck it somewhere where you can look at it and give that thing fresh over to the King of Kings as you need to. You know, I believe there really is something about letting our hands do something with what's in our heart and our mind. I believe that something concrete, something is cemented when we do that. So throughout the next few days, I'm going to challenge you to look at that card and let the Holy Spirit remind you of that. I have another question for you. Some of you in this room may be thinking, I don't know this King Jesus. This is not the King. This is not the Jesus that I've heard about. This is not the one I know. I know somebody else, or maybe I don't really know him at all. Maybe this morning as I was talking about his sacrifice, as I was mentioning the fact that we have all sinned and our punishment for sin is death, 
Maybe the Holy Spirit at that moment was speaking to your heart. Maybe this morning you're online and you're paying attention and something in this message grabbed you and made you understand, hey, I need to pay attention to this because I don't know this King Jesus. So if that is you and you want to trade your life of sin for the life of forgiveness and victory that Jesus has for you, I want to give you a moment to do that. Maybe this morning you've known Jesus and you've walked with him before, but today you are far from God. And like Mr. Jeff says in Life Kids all the time, Jesus makes it easy. Jesus makes it easy. We don't have to do a whole bunch of spectacular things to gain his forgiveness. We don't have to walk a certain way or sing a certain song. Jesus makes it easy. So this morning, if that's you, we're here as a community of faith to support you. So I'm gonna ask everybody here to bow your heads in reverence, close your eyes to remove distractions and allow people to respond. So I'm gonna start at your right, my left. And I'm just gonna look over this worship center just for a moment. And if that's you and you wanna pray with me this morning, I'm gonna ask you to meet my gaze. I'm starting at your right, my left, the very far bank of seats. Just lift your head and get my attention. All right, thank you for that hand. Okay, I'm over in the next set of seats. And now I'm over at the middle right. I see you. Now I'm over at the middle left, the middle left bank of seats. I see you. I see you. I see you. All right, in the next set of seats, looking right in front of the sound booth. If you're online this morning, uh, you just raise your hand in the chat. There's a place to do that, and our host will pray with you. If you're on Facebook this morning, you like the comment, our host will pray with you. And I'm on my far right, your far left right now. Just get my attention. All right. So those of you that raise your hands online and in person, we're going to pray together. We pray this prayer every week. We're all going to pray it with you because this is a faith community that loves one another and supports one another. So we're going to pray this prayer together. It's going to be up on the screen behind me. And here we go. This is the prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate those that are in person and those that are in line. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, I was asked by Pastor Tom to do something that I wasn't planning to do, but I'm going to do it because he asked me to. And because apparently there are fans who want this to happen. I'm not going to sing the Star Wars anthem. I'm going to give you a blessing.
Now, a blessing is something that we do in kids' ministry all the time. And the reason why we do it is because there is a precedent in the Word of God for this. Where leaders, time after time after time, spoke a life-giving word over their people. And the people received this word. It's not a prayer. A prayer is when we talk to God about the things of earth. But a blessing is when we talk to the people of earth about the things of God. So here's how a blessing works. You're going to be kids for a moment. You can put your hands out like you're about to get something. Or you can leave them on your lap if you feel more comfortable, but it's kind of nice this way. You can leave your eyes open or you can close them. And this is what the Word of God says. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Today, may you let Jesus be king in your life. May you trust him with every kingdom that you have built as he builds his kingdom in you and through you. May you know that you can call out to him and he will save you because the king of heaven and earth loves you and cares for you. And may you know that there is nothing you can do to make him love you any more or any less. Amen. Amen. Pastor Megan and James are coming to close us out this morning. Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to learn more, take a next step, or get prayer, visit our website. That's wordoflifeag.org.